Today we're on the sixth commandment with the big idea of do not murder. Do not murder. Take your Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 3, which is throwing some of you guys off because you're like, I thought we were in Exodus 20. We are in Exodus 20, but we're going to go to 1 John chapter 3 today. This commandment is on the horizontal line. You see all the commandments either fall under the vertical. The vertical is our relationship with God or the horizontal, our relationship with people. Now we're on the commandments where all of them will deal with our relationships with people. I think with all the other commandments, I think there's like wiggle room where we try to debate it. There's really not wiggle room, but we try to make there be wiggle room. Like we debate, is this as applicable today as it was whenever the Hebrew people received this? And, but not on this one. You know, like this is the commandment that no one argues with. Thou shalt not murder. We're pretty much okay with that commandment. Like anyone, you go anywhere in the States and you talk about like, hey, do you think it's wrong to go around murdering people? Most people are like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. Let's not murder people. And yet, like with all the commandments I think we've seen, there's more depth than we would think. And, and I think that we struggle with this more than we realize right off the bat. So I want to set the stage before we dive in. The sixth commandment is... Um, Probably the shortest of all the commandments. In fact, it's made up of only two Hebrew words. It's made up of the words lo ratzak. Lo ratzak. And lo ratzak literally means don't murder. And that Hebrew word is important because there's eight different words that means kill in the Old Testament. Right? But this one, lo ratzak, is never used to talk about uh, the legal system or the military, or it's never used in, like if some of you like to go after Bambi in the fall, it's never used in terms of hunting, right? It's, that's not the way lo ratzak is used. This is one of the strongest translations of to kill that you can have. And so if your Bible translation, if you're looking at Exodus 20 and it says, thou shalt not kill, I would argue that's not a strong enough translation. Because the word really has to say murder. We are talking about the taking of an innocent person's life. There are lots of murders all throughout Scripture, but I think probably the one we're most familiar with is the first one in Genesis, where Cain killed, murdered his brother Abel. Oh, I'm just thinking about my relationship with my brother. I'm thinking about my two boys. And I'm like, what in the world can make one brother murder another. There's just something especially grotesque about that. Why would he do that? Well, he did it because he hated Abel. He was jealous of Abel. He was jealous of Abel because God accepted his offering and not Cain's. And so Cain killed him. That's exactly what this commandment is talking about. That is the exact uh, point that God is condemning with the commandment to take an innocent life, no matter what your emotion, no matter what your feeling. Now, I just got to call time out real fast because I think as we're um, listening already, it's easy to start to think to yourself, man, I love this one. Like, finally, I got an easy command. I got this one whooped. I ain't killed anyone all day. Like, <laughs> I haven't. Like, it's been, it's been a long time since I've murdered anyone. Like, I'm pretty good. I'm feeling real good about myself. But see, the thing is, we don't just want to take one piece of scripture and say, I'm going to be, you always want to be students of the Bible. And as students of the Bible, we know that if you keep reading past Exodus, eventually you're going to get to the New Testament and you get to Jesus. And Jesus in Matthew chapter five, we call that the Sermon on the Mount, which think about it. Moses climbed a mountain 
to get these two stone tablets. Jesus, to start his entire ministry, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. It was more of a hillside, but he went and he sat down on this hillside and he brought his disciples close. And so the 12 sat around him. As the 12 sat around him, he said, you want to be my disciples? You want to follow me? You want to be followers of mine? Here's what it's going to mean. This is what it's going to mean to follow me. And here's what he says in chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. He says, I want to go back to the sixth commandment. And let me address that just for a moment. He says, if someone, if, if someone insults another one, if you're, if you're angry with them, if you hate your brother in your heart, what does he say? He says, you've already committed murder. And so before we jump in here and before we start thinking to ourselves like the Ten Commandments are about a list of to-dos and to-don't-dos and that's pretty much what it is about behavior modification, I want to challenge you in that thinking because this is about the heart. And so before we even start, where's your heart? How are you doing with this? Is there any anger there, bitter? Is there any place in your life that right now you're thinking, I wouldn't mind if something bad happened to that person? We don't like to say that out loud, especially at church. We won't put our church mask on, right? But no, really, like, how are you doing? And sometimes, I mean, I'm just going to call, and I'm not even playing right now at all, but some of you, like, you're so into sports that you look at a 19 or 20-year-old kid that plays at Ohio State or plays at Michigan State, and you're thinking to yourself, like, no, I would be okay with bad things happening to you because you blew it for my team. And we go to this really gross place. Or we look at, at people who are serving in Washington, D.C., and we think, well, what kind of person are you? And it really doesn't matter whether you're to the right or to the left. I think everyone has the ability to look at politicians and think, oh, well, you know, it would kind of be okay if you were out of office tomorrow because bad things happen to you. I think we can look at people in our own family. We can look at people we live next to, people we work with. Is there anger? Is there hatred? Is there that gross, disgusting place in your heart that we're really going to learn more about? Because that's what John's talking about. In 1 John chapter 3, this is awesome. What John does is he says, let me talk to you about those two stone tablets. Let me talk to you about the sixth commandment. And let me talk to you about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 as he clears this up for us and goes to a whole different level. And let me talk to you about Cain and Abel. And here's what he says. We're going to look through about two application points at how we live out do not murder. And the first one we're going to see is we have to deny hate. We have to deny hate. The Word of God says this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, John writes, For this, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who, listen what he says, he says, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. So do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides, lives in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So verse 11 comes right on the hills of verse number 10. Verse number 10 is where John writes about our identity, who we are. He says that we are children of God. And John says, based on that truth, based on the truth that we're children of God, how should we respond? 
And he says, this then, based on the fact that we're children of God, this then is how we're to live. We are to behave, he says in verse 11, we're to behave like children of God. And the way to behave like children of God is to love one another. I like how one commentator said it. He said, it's, it's not enough to believe right. We have to behave right. It's not enough to believe right. He says, we must behave right. I, I, I like to go back to the heart because I think this is a heart issue. Jesus said the mouth only speaks what fills the heart, right? Mouth only speaks what fills the heart. Here's what I think. I think you might be able to come into church for a Sunday or two or ten, and you might be able to wear the thing, you know, and, and play the part and do the robot or whatever. And, and I, think that I think that your heart eventually, though, is going to become such that all of a sudden your actions are going to follow. Does that make sense? Like you can fake it for a little bit, and especially with people you don't see that often, but especially with your family, especially with close friends, especially with people who know you, eventually it's going to overflow. The condition of your heart is going to come pouring out. Now, this is a message the Bible says that has stayed constant from the beginning. Did you see the first part? It says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, meeting from Adam and Eve all the way at this point through uh, the good news of Jesus. All of that, this message has remained constant. So John's saying it's not new. This is not a new thing. If you want to write notes in your margins, I would write John 13, 34 and John 15, 12, which is, says this. Jesus says, this is the same person writing, John's still writing, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I loved you, you also should love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So the outpouring of our heart should be love. And then John connects it in 1 John with this illustration of Cain and Abel. He says we're not supposed to be like Cain. Cain had this hatred. He was used by the evil one to kill his brother because his deeds were evil and his brother, his brother had a right standing with God. And so that's why it happened in the first place. John is saying, don't be like Cain. You have to deny hate. Verse number 15 wraps up everything we've heard so far and says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And look what he says. He says, you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I want to be careful here because sometimes people will take a verse. I hope you've never done this. Sometimes people will take a verse and they'll pull it out of context and they'll take that singular verse to, to try to back up their argument. You've seen people do that? Like, I, I just want to say whatever it is I want to say and so I'm going to take this verse out of context. And some people will use this verse to try to say that if you don't be a good girl, if you don't be a good boy, that you're going to lose your salvation. Like salvation is something that can be lost, just like, and, and yet that's, that's not really what he's saying. He's talking about fruit, which you'll see more in just a moment. He's talking about this outpouring of fruit in our lives. He's saying if you're a follower of Jesus, like there's no room for hate in your life. There's no room for that anger and that animosity and that nastiness. There's no room for that. In fact, you have the fragrance of death on you, which I'll show you in just a second. You have a fragrance of death on you if that's you. Yours should be different. Yours should be marked in, in love. Now, we know from Ephesians, it says that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. 
You see, it's not about doing good things so that we have bragging rights. That's not what it is. That's not what we're talking about. So Jesus, talking about this fragrance of death, he's talking to the Pharisees back in Matthew. Do you remember this? Matthew chapter 23, he says, woe to you. Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes, you're hypocrites. For you're, listen what he says, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also appear, outwardly you appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Did you hear that? Like if you ever, I hope you've never done that, but maybe you have. Maybe you've had that thing where you put the smile on. You're like, no, everything's good and everything's God's and inside everything is just a stench. In fact, here's what I would encourage you to do. Just examine your life. Is there fruit in your life? Do you, do you see fruit in your life? Or do you come to church on Sunday? Do you sing the songs? And all throughout the week, you're walking around. There's so much anger here. And there's so much bitterness there. And there's so much hatred in there. Is that you? And I'm telling you, the evil one's using you if that's you. Is that you? You're just walking around with all that and there's no fruit at all. If, if that's you... My encouragement is just re-examine your heart throughout the rest of this morning. Re-examine your heart because maybe you've never stopped and placed your faith in Jesus in the first time. In that place where I'm talking, your life is transformed. You become a new creation. The old you dies. There's a new you in its place. If that, happen, if that hasn't happened, maybe that needs to be you today. So when it comes to denying hate, we have this place where we have to, we have to hold our lives up compared to what faith is. And does it look like Jesus? Does it look like Jesus? Or does it go back to that place of saying, oh man, I'm so angry about this person at work. I'm so, that person in my family, I wish they would just go away. Do I, what does your life look like? Because see, there's a sin of commission. The sin of commission, that'd be something you do, like when Cain killed Abel, that's, that's a sin of commission. There's also sins of omission. So those things you don't do. Like when you know the Holy Spirit is working in your life and you're supposed to speak and you don't speak, that, that's sin. When you know you're supposed to be faithful with tithes and offerings and you hold it back, you're omitting, you're not doing it, that, that's a sin. When you are supposed to battle against murder in your life, you're supposed to battle against hate and you don't, that is a sin. And that's what John's trying to tell us, which brings us to our final point today. And that is you don't just deny hate. You also have to demonstrate love. You have to demonstrate love. Pick it up in, in verse number 16. It says this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So here we have John telling us to deny hate, not to murder. And then he goes this next step and says, you need to demonstrate love. And look how he says we're supposed to do that. He says, you do that by following the greatest example the world has ever seen. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus who demonstrated his love for us with death on the cross. Now what Roman says Romans 5, 8, it says God shows his love for us. He proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is one of the most overwhelming things in all of Scripture. 
You see, it's not all the sins only of those in the first century. It's all those sins from that point to now. It's all the sins that I've ever committed that you've ever committed. It's the sins of those family members that I have that haven't even been born yet. That the Lord knows their name. Christ died once for all. Isn't that incredible? That from Calvary, he knew and gave his life freely. That's the example John says we're supposed to follow. We're supposed to demonstrate our love. Now in your margins, I just want you to write down one more passage, and that's John 15, 12. Again, same writer. In John 15, 12, he shows us that there's a connection between 1 John 3 and John 15, 12. It says, Jesus is talking here. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no, one than, uh, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I've commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go, and here it is, that you should go and you should bear fruit, and that fruit should abide. It should be long-lasting. The fruit in your life should be lasting fruit so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I've commanded you so that you will love one another. So here, Jesus connects. Loving one another. This command to love was laying down your life with this abiding, with this long-lasting fruit. Now, I like to meet with couples who are getting ready to get married, and inevitably, man, it just how you probably heard it before, inevitably, he'll look at her, she'll look at him, and he'll say something like this, I love you so much, I'd die for you. Doesn't that sound romantical? <laughs> Sounds so nice, doesn't it? Here's the thing, though. We all say things like that. Maybe you feel that strongly about, you probably ain't ever going to get the chance, Right? Probably it's not like the movies where some bad guy is going to put you and the loved one against the wall and look at you and say, okay, you pick. Who am I going to take out? That's probably not going to be something you get the opportunity to experience. But every single one of us get the opportunity to demonstrate love to those around us. Every single one of us, guys, we get this opportunity on a daily basis. And if you're going, yeah, but I don't know how to lay my life down. He tells us, verse 17, he says, how about meeting physical needs? Isn't that what McGrest is? Right? McGrest, that's exactly what McGrest is. There are people off the streets who are going to be able to come in here and they're going to be able to say, I have shelter. I don't have to be in the elements right now. I have shelter. I'm going to be dry and I'm going to receive food and I'm going to receive nourishment and maybe even a little bit of relationship from some of you guys. I'm going to receive some companionship in that place. That's exactly what verse 17 is pointing to. We have runners right now, guys. Right now, they're running miles and miles and miles and miles in Detroit. They're running a marathon. They're doing it for the orphans. Why? So that we can do verse number 17 and meet the physical needs. We can lay down our lives for others. We can love in a way that the world takes note. I read about uh, William Booth. You've probably heard of him. He created the Salvation Army. There's a story that says that back in the day, he sent a one-word telegraph to all of his Salvation Army officers all around the world. And it had the word others with an exclamation point. That was the telegraph. That was the whole message. 
others. Well, in May, in May of 1914, there was a ship called the Empress of Ireland. On board ship was 130 Salvation Army officers when the ship sank. Here's, here's the cool part of the story. Those 130 army officers, 109 of them drowned that day, but every single one of them took off their life belt and started to strap it around other passengers. Didn't matter, man or woman, that didn't matter. In fact, the man could be much larger and stronger than they were, and it was said that they looked them in the eye and they said, no, I can die better than you can. That's gutsy, isn't it? As the ship sank, the survivors were a little bit away from the ship. They could hear the battle cry as the ship was going down. It was one single word. It was the word, others. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world. This is how, this is how God says others. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's how God says others. See, we know John 3.16, right? But let me go back and reread 1 John 3.16 because it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, there's a connection between the two. They're both talking about Jesus. And they're both talking about the love of Jesus. But 1 John 3.16 says, and here's what we are supposed to do with it. We are supposed to go and we're supposed to demonstrate love to those around us. So I want to end today with a bit of a challenge. At my, um, my last church, the very last thing you would see before you would walk out the big glass doors, above the big glass doors, it had a sign that said, go, love, do. Go, love, do. And it, it was this, right? That's what it was. it was. It was this, go, love, do. And it was just a reminder to all of us that we're going into our mission field now. Like, we are going, and love is a verb. We're supposed to do something with our love. We're supposed to demonstrate our love. The world should, and before I go any further, let me just real fast clear something up. This is not about behavior modification. This is not about us, like, be better, because if you be better, then you're more Christian-y. That is not what it is. The Bible says that when we become followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in our life. There's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and there should be no way that we can lock that down for an entire week and just go around grumpy pants hating on everything. There should be no way that can happen. There should be this explosion of life coming out of us, not a stench of death within us. Does that make sense? There should be something. I want this week for us to create a ruckus in our community. That's what I'm going to call us to. I want us to create havoc, a holy havoc around this place. And here's, it's going to look like love. It's going to be a demonstration of love. So yesterday, yesterday storms came through, right? Shook your trees around, some leaves fell. And so maybe this week, you're going to pull up in your driveway and you're going to see that person who doesn't get around near as well as they used to and they're going to be taking their time raking about the time they get all the leaves raked, they've all fallen down again, right? I mean, they're going to go at that speed. Maybe you just need to grab the family, hand everybody some rakes, and say, hey, we're going to go knock this out. And we're going to give him a hug. We're going to give her a hug. And we're just going to say, you know what? Jesus is doing awesome things in my life. I just want you to know I love you. Have a great day. Can, can we do that this week? I'm not going to give you more ideas because here's the thing. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You don't need me whispering all the ideas. Stop, pray, and listen to him. 
Stop, pray, and listen to him, and then be obedient to love, because maybe it's going to be someone at your workplace, and maybe it's going to be your kids doing something incredible, and maybe it's going to be neighbors, and maybe it's going to be someone at the restaurant. I don't know what it's going to be, but I want you to have the boldness to do it. Let's demonstrate love this week. And I want you to go a step further. I am, I got to tell you, social media has been a mess lately. Just everybody being cynical and mean and just, um, I get so over it. And I got to tell you a little bit of conviction. Sometimes I'm like, man, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd just shut this thing down. I'd be so over it. Um, It's just a good way to communicate sometimes for a pastor. No, you know what? I got a better plan. Let's unleash an army of 800, shall we? Let's just unleash you guys. Let's just be the church this week. How's that? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to catch your pictures of where the Lord is moving. What does Go Love Do look like here? What does it look like right here in our community? I want you to take a picture of it. Just share it on Instagram. Tag the church on it. Woodside Romeo. Just just tag it. I want you to put the picture up on Facebook. Now, some of you, there are going to be things happening and that you're experiencing. You're like, oh, I can't. It'd be weird if I took a picture. Like, I don't want to be the creeper. I can't take a picture right now. And um, so if you can't take a picture, what I want you to do is I just want you to type out the story. Email it to us, Romeo at WoodsideBible.org. Just just email that over to us. Because what I want to do over the next couple weeks, I just want to share what it looks like for us, this church, to demonstrate love in our community. I'm fired up about this, y'all. I think this is so powerful. Again, I talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The thing is, for some of you, you guys got that challenge? Like, yeah. Some of you right now, if you went and you tried to live this out for Sean chapter 3 this week, it really would be about being a good moral person to you. Like, everybody can just be nice. I just want to go. I like that. Let's just go be nice. There's no transformation in your life because you never got past John 3.16. So let me go back to John 3.16 just for a moment. And let's camp out there just, just briefly. That passage says, for God so loved the world. But let's make it personal. I want you to take out the word world and I want you to put your name in it. So for me, I would put, for God so loved Billy. My wife would say, for God so loved Amy. I want you to put your name in it. For God so loved that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. Whoever believes in him, that means to cling to him, to rely on him, to trust in him, to surrender to him, to have faith in him, will not perish, but have eternal life. For some of you, that's that's what you've been looking for. You see, when you find Jesus, you find life. For some, you've never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus in your life. You tried to be good. You tried to be moral. You tried to go by the Ten Commandments, some. But you've never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. And let me tell you, there's something bigger. There's something bigger. When you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes residence in your life. And the old you truly does die. And there's something that wakes up inside of you. And I'm just going to tell you, it's going to ruin everything. Like, you can't look at the world the same way again. You'll never look at your family, your friends, your workplace, your community, your church. You'll never look at it the same again. So I just, let's all just bow our heads for a moment. I want to give you that, that space to do that business with God. So if that's you, if you've never done that, I just want you to be able to pray and say, Holy Father, thank you for loving me. God, I believe, I believe that um, I've sinned. 
I know there's been times I've had hatred in my life. I know there's times that I've struggled with this exact commandment. And God, I believe that that's why you sent Jesus. You sent Jesus as a demonstration of your love. And Jesus, I believe that you did live a perfect and sinless life. That you took all of the sin on your shoulders. All the sins from the first century, all the sins from then till now, you've taken my sins on the cross. You were crucified to stand in the place of my penalty. Jesus, I also believe that on the third day, you conquered death and you rose from the grave. And I've never done this, but I'm placing my faith and my trust in you today as my Lord and Savior. Not only are you over all the heavens and the earth, but Lord, I am surrendering the Lordship of my life over to you right now. Thank you. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me a right standing with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment. If that was you, if you just never placed your faith in Jesus, and this was your moment. What I want you to do is on the count of three, just shoot your hand straight up. On the count of three, if that was you today, just put your hand straight up. One, two, three. Hands up if that was you. Hands up if that was you. Now, one thing I want to remind you of, raising a hand doesn't make you right with God. It's the work in your heart that makes you right with God. I want to encourage you, make sure you stop. Talk to us at the Next Steps desk. We want to talk to you more about what it means to live this life of faith. Father, we do thank you for changed lives. We thank you for another opportunity at life today. Lord, we don't want to waste today. We want to go in a way where we deny hate. We want to go where we, we live out what it means to love. We want to be a demonstration of your love. We want to be your hands and your feet and your voice as we love those around us. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Will you stand as we sing this morning?